This episode of the Grow From Your Heart podcast is brought to you by my friend James Bean and SeedsHereNow.com. SeedsHereNow.com is the number one source for high quality seeds with a money back guarantee and lightning fast shipping. With monthly sales, James Bean's pocket full of freebies and easy credit card payments, you cannot beat SeedsHereNow.com. To catch the latest drop from your favorite breeders, check out SeedsHereNow.com today. go. Welcome to the show, Podcast World. I'm your host. My friends call me Rasta Jeff. This is episode 741 of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. In this episode, I'm going to answer a couple of grow questions. Before I get to that part of the show, let's do a few shout outs to a few of the kind folks who continue to support the show on Patreon. Let's kick it off with the big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to my friend William Downs. Let's send a big thank you shout out to 716 Vibes and Uncle Gigi. Let's send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to my buddy Chicago Dabber and Papa Z. Let's send a big thank you shout out to a longtime friend, my buddy Jesse Grows. I want to send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to a great tester, my friend Levity Loveday. Let's send a big thank you shout out to Elder's Garden. I want to send a fist bump and a thank you shout out to Terry P and Easy 057. Let's send a big thank you shout out to my buddy B Bala. Then let's wrap it all up with a big Grow From Your Heart podcast thank you shout out to Doc Grows. Big thanks and big shout out to everybody who continues to support the show on Patreon. If you are not already supporting the show and you would like to learn how to do so, all you have to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information you need will be right there on the screen. And you know, I do include a link to the Patreon in the show notes and in the video description to make it super easy for all of my friends to support the show. Speaking of Patreon, the new Patreon episode will be available by the time this podcast comes out. That Patreon episode will be loaded up. There is a Patreon only, a Patreon exclusive episode that will be posted for the month of May. Uh, That episode does include myself and White Mike, and we each ate a hundred milligrams of edibles. We rambled on. The show is two hours long. There is not any grow information in that show. To be completely open and honest, I did not put grow information on the Patreon show because I want to give you guys all of the grow information, education. I want that to be free. I want people to be able to get that. The Patreon episode is honestly just a hangout with Mike and I. We got lit. We talk shit. Uh, It's a good time. So please, if you're on the Patreon, look for that video with White Mike and myself. By the time this episode comes out, That video should have loaded by now. It's a two-hour video. It is 4K. It has taken all day to load. You guys don't care. Look for that episode on Patreon. Once again, big thanks to the Irie Army for supporting the show on Patreon. Where do we go from there? Also, big thanks for all of the uh, shout-outs and support and positive feedback on the Mother's Day episode. Usually I put out shows on Monday morning. Uh, I thought it would be nice to put out a show on Mother's Day about mother plants. A lot of people caught my, the irony there or my gag or my trick or my joke, whatever it was there. I was trying to be cute. I put out a Mother's Day episode about mother plants. A lot of people saw that. A lot of people commented. They enjoyed the show. They also enjoyed that it was a Mother's Day special. Big thank you for checking out that episode. Big thanks for all the comments. I hope everybody out there had a great Mother's Day. Hope you spent some time with your mom, your family, if your mom's not with us anymore. Big hug to mama, big love to all the moms. Without the moms, 
none of us would be here. Let's move forward, you guys. I do have some topics to talk about, not just a bunch of rambles on today's episode. I've got a few great emails here in front of me. This one, we're going to jump right into it. This one I titled The Selection Question. This one comes from our friend that calls themselves J.H., and it goes a little bit like this. It says, in every 10 to 20 seeds, there is one plant that just looks happy the entire time. So that does make sense. I've noticed sometimes that when you run a pack of seeds, you'll run 10 or 20 seeds, and there's always going to be one that just just shines. That's that's like the dating pool. That's the way I describe dating. That's the way I find uh, describe finding the phenotype that you like. That one is going to shine. It says, in your opinion, how important is that plant in the selection process? Um, that the fact that it just shines says a lot. Is it shining because? Uh, is it now? There are a couple of things to think about. Is it shining because it's the only one getting the right shit, or is it shining because it is thriving? We've got a couple of things to think about. When we run plants for the first time, we don't know what they expect. So we just give them, in most cases, we give them the general uh, 84, 80-ish degrees, 70% humidity. We give them all the basics, and we run them the first time and see what they do. Some plants are going to be happy in that. Some are not going to be happy in that. It looks like you're always finding, and that's that's a good, uh, that the odds of that one plant shining are always really good because we've designed, we've bred these plants to work in the grow rooms, which we've designed. The plants have been bred to work in the rooms and the rooms have been designed to work with the plants the way that we bred them. So if you've got a 10 pack or a 20 pack in a decent grow room, you're always going to find at least one that super shines. Now, is that one shining because the other nine are not happy or 19 are not happy? Or is that one shining because it is super happy? Now, also, is it shining because that's the one that doesn't isn't real picky, doesn't require a lot of stuff? That is a very common thing. What you're running into is just phenotypical expression. One of them is happier than the others, and it is shining. Um, how important is that in the selection process? That is half of what we're, that's a small portion of what we're looking for. Less than half of what we're looking for is the performance of the plants in that one condition. It performed well. That's a good indication that it works well in your environment. That is one really good thing. But how does it smoke? Does it uh, does it give you a good harvest weight? Does it go- give you good potency? Does the smoke give you a desirable effect? Uh, is the flavor there? Because flavor matters a lot to me. Flavor and aroma. Um, does it give you the weight that you need? Those are also very uh, important factors to think about during a selection process. Growing it is great. If it grows well, that's really cool. But Once you cut it down, the consumer has no idea how it grew and they don't care. Uh, A lot of times the best plants to smoke are the plants that grew like shit in the garden. The one that the grower had to struggle with is the one that the smokers really enjoy quite often. So um, only part of the, it's like a chessboard. It's like, uh, we call it memetics. You got 64 squares on a chessboard, right? And the, uh, this one looking good in the grow room during the grow is one square of the chessboard. We need potency. We need bug resistance. We need uh, terps. We need all kinds of other things to make this a winner, not just one square on the chessboard. You got to cover the whole board if you want to win. There is more to this. It goes on. It says, I'm bad at describing things, but I'm sure you know this plant. It always has the perfect leaf angle, perfect color, no visible signs of stress, and it looks like she just wants to give you a high five. Yes, I do know that plant very well. Um, Once you grow a lot more and you get more experienced, you'll be able to get every plant in the room to look that way. You'll know that this one, I need to move it away from the light because it it doesn't like the extra heat. But if I put it in the corner, it kind of enjoys that. And the other one, it needs to go right under the light because it wants all the extra light. This one, I shouldn't water it so much. This one, I can practically overwater it and it loves it. So you'll start learning those individual plants. But uh, in selection, something I say a lot of times is don't select the plant for the internet. We're not 
selecting for internet purposes. We are selecting for uh, potency, vigor, resistance to bugs, terps. There are a lot of other things that we're selecting for. So if you're selecting for Instagram, for photos, that is the great phenotype. We've got to smoke it. We've got to grow it all the way out, dry it, cure it, finish it, and then see if it is desirable. That's really the only way to tell is to dry it, cure it, smoke it, and see what you've got. It goes on. It says, that being said, I haven't had the happiest plant and the best smelling plant line up ever in 18 years of sprouting 10 seeds at a time. Is that just bad luck or am I doing something wrong? No, that is the way that the weed gods like to mess with us. Uh, we've learned how to grow. You've been growing since 18 years. You've been growing cannabis, producing cannabis for 18 years, which means you're pretty good at it by now. You, I hope you're pretty good at it by now. You've got a flow. You've got a rhythm. You're comfortable. You've got a lot of skills. So the world goes, oh, you got some skills, you think? How about instead of giving you this perfect plant, we're going to give you two to choose from. I often make the joke that when you run a 10-pack, one is going to be best for the consumer and one is going to be best for the grower. And it's kind of what you're saying here. The happiest plant and best smelling plant don't seem to line up. The one that the consumers want, they never saw how much of a pain in the ass that plant was to grow. They go, I want an ounce of this. And then that one that grew super simply for you and put out all the weight, I, it wasn't the desirable. It's never the desirable one for the consumer. That is kind of a, a joke that I say the weed gods play on us. That is very common. Uh, you're not doing anything wrong. That is just how phenotypes work. Um, I, I always find at least one keeper in a 10 pack of my stuff. So the hard part is deciding which of the three I usually want to keep. There's one that usually tastes real good, one that's usually super potent, uh, and then that one that just super fucking performs. Uh, the goal there is to breed that line further and get the things that you want out of that. But uh, no, you're not doing anything wrong. You are doing it just right. In my opinion, that is just a funny joke that the cannabis gods, the ganja gods play on us. Uh, the best smelling one and the best performing plant are not the same. Uh, the consumer and the grower are always going to have different opinions in that aspect. All right, my friend, JH, I feel like I rambled on quite a bit about that question. I hope I helped you out. I hope I answered your question. Uh, if you've got any follow-ups, I would love to hear your follow-up question. If anybody else out there has any questions, corrections, comments, or concerns on this question, my email address, of course, is growfromyourheartathotmail.com. Don't be shy. Reach on out. I will answer your questions. I do have another message right here in front of me. This one came from Patreon. Big shout out to all the Patreon supporters. This one came from Guido's Grow Room. Big shout out to my buddy Guido at Guido's Grow Room. You say that three times fast. One time was hard enough. It goes on and it says, hey, Mr. RJ, got a quick question for you. I'm getting ready to flip some plants via STS. So he's going to reverse some plants using a silver thiosulfate solution. I've talked a lot about that on other episodes. If you want to learn a lot more about reversing plants with silver thiosulfate, uh, I've done a full podcast. Simply Google grow from your heart podcast, STS mix or my STS. It will come up. Um, it says, uh, so he said, I'm getting ready to reverse some plants via silver thiosulfate. And I am wondering if you have ever done it under an 1113 DJ short style light cycle. That's a very good question. Let me explain what that means. Most of the time we put our plants on 12 hours on and 12 hours off to trigger the flowering phase. Our friend DJ Short a long time ago taught us that 11 hours on and 13 hours off will give us different results. In some cases, they are improved results. In some cases, they are diminished results. It depends on your goal. I think that the extended dark period 
gives the plants an opportunity to show their expression a little bit more. We see more phenotypical variation, more phenotypical expression is what it is that I believe I'm seeing with this extended dark period. This is not common practice for me. I've stopped doing this. I do something way different, which I've talked about in other episodes, but DJ Short has been doing the 1113 for a long time. It's got a lot of advantages. If you think about it, if you're flowering for 63 days, that is 63 hours of electricity that you don't have to run. That's 63 hours of power that didn't go through your light bulb, your air conditioner, your blower, all your fans, everything got to chill out and cool down for 63 extra hours, which economically that is great. But in my opinion, photons are the number one source of energy for that plant. So I want to give them all the light that they can get. That's a whole nother debate, a whole nother conversation. Right now we're talking about putting these plants under 1113 after they have been treated with the silver thiosulfate solution in an attempt to make feminized seeds. It goes on, it says, I've got four ladies in the room flowering now, and we'll be adding the two reversal candidates into the spot tomorrow. Shouldn't be any issues, right? Um, I do see an issue, my dude. Um, if the four ladies are in the flower room, flowering room now and you're just adding the two reversal candidates, you may have mistimed this. My general practice, my standard operating procedure is to begin the reversal, uh, get the plants being sprayed. I spray them seven to uh, 10 to 14 days. The first plant to get reversed gets sprayed 10 to 14 days before it goes into flower, then that one will get sprayed again on day one of flower, then day three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18, 21, and possibly day 24. I do not put the pollen receiving plants into that room until I see those reversed plants begin to show me definite signs of male flowers. When I start seeing those pollen sacs pop up, that is when I move the female plants into the room. That is how I time it. I really think that timing works out because it's going to be... Uh, a few days now, several days, 26 to 32 days before that male plant starts producing pollen. If your girls are already in there, um, how long have they been in there? Flowering now, I'll be adding two reversal. So you don't say how long they've been in there, but they're ahead. They're too far ahead of the male plants. They're going to be past their peak ovulation point of receiving pollen to create seeds if you don't get those males dumping pollen a little bit sooner. It will work. Don't Don't panic. Don't freak out. It will work, but if you had timed it a little bit differently, you would make a lot more seed, many, probably double the amount of seeds, honestly. It's all about timing. Uh, you want those plants, the female plants, the pollen receivers to have the most, I call it dandelions. People understand what I mean when I say the dandelions. When it starts making, you guys call it hairs. Those are pistols. Uh, when it starts making, all the hairs start popping up. Those hairs are what are going to catch the pollen. That's that's what catches the pollen. It draw, draws the pollen down that into the ovule, into the bracton of the calyx, starts forming a seed within that area. But all those hairs are what are going to make the seed. Those hairs have to be at the prime peak point for pollination to get the most seeds. When they're real thick and real strong looking, right after that is when they want the most pollen. Then they start fading, they start wrinkling, start crinkling up, start getting brown. Once they get withered up and small, that they can no longer receive pollen. They've passed their peak point of uh, pollination. They've gone into, uh, I guess they've gone into menopause if you want to compare them to people. So, so I think you are doing okay, but the timing could have been better. But don't panic. Don't tear it down. Don't start over. Do what you're doing. You're going to get seeds out of this. Um, shouldn't be any issues, right? I think the 11-13 cycle should work. Honestly, I have not done that, so I don't have a testimony. But with the info I've got, the knowledge, experience, uh, I think it will work. I think it will do what needs done. 
It may help you out because your male, your reversal plants may actually flip more quickly because they're sleeping longer. I'm not sure how that will work. It may be beneficial to correct your timing issue. Uh, it goes on, it says, and of course, once they start to show boy parts, they'll go into the breeding tent. Just need a week to finish trim jail as I dry in the in the other tent too. I hope you have an awesome day, my man, and thank you for your time. Uh, my buddy Guido, thank you for the great question. It sounds like you've got the right idea, but I think the timing may have been off just a little bit, but I understand why. We're limited on space. Uh, you're stuck in trim jail, which um, should I ramble on that or should I just let it go? Trim jail is a weird thing to me because I actually have friends in jail. And if I said trim jail to them, they'd be like, motherfucker, do you see where I am? And they'd find it really disrespectful for me to say that sitting here, sitting at the table, listening to sublime, eating Doritos, talking to my friends and cutting up weed under the air conditioner to put the word jail in there. My friends in real jail would be fucking offended. Um, They'd find it disrespectful. That's my quick rant on that. Nobody cares about that. I don't like trim jail. That's a silly fucking word to say. There's real people in real jail. Um, But I get it, dude. I get what you've got to do. You had to time it that way. I think it's going to work, and I think your uh, light cycle will work. I think everything will turn out just the way that you want it to. Um, My request is send me an update. Send me feedback. Send me details. How does this work? How many seeds do you pull from the plants that you put in there? Uh, are you satisfied with the outcome? And uh, did you get pollen on time? That is going to be my main question. So uh, Guido, send me a follow-up. Send me some info, bro. I can't wait uh, for the follow-up. Uh, this came on May 9th. So uh, it should be a couple of weeks here before I get more info. I'll give you till uh, about June 1st, and I'll expect an update from you, my dude. All right, Guido, thank you for the great message. Let's see how long we've been rambling. We've got plenty of time for one more message. i got a great question here in front of me. This one came on the growfromyourheart at hotmail.com email address, and it goes a lot like this. It says, hey, Ross to Jeff. My actual name is Jack. What's up, Jack? Good to meet you, my dude. It says, when you used a 1,000-watt HPS, which is a high-pressure sodium lamp, what reflector type and what distance to the canopy do you find to be optimal? That is a very good question. Um, when I was running a thousand watt high pressure sodium light, um, I let's talk about my personal small home grow because I'm pretty sure this person isn't running a commercial grow with Gavitas, which is what I do in a commercial environment. Let's talk about a small home grow or a small personal private setup. If I had a thousand watt HPS, what reflector type? And what distance do I find to be optimal? We've got a few options. I really like the vented and ducted hoods. That sounds weird to a lot of people. Let me try to explain what I'm talking about because some people may not know. We basically, so all lights, not all, but the basic design of a grow light is that you've got your bulb and the bulb hangs horizontally. So it's going this way, it screws into the socket and it goes this way. Then when it shines, the light goes all out of that bulb every direction. So we've put it inside of what we call a reflector or a hood. And that it does just like what it sounds like it's supposed to do. It reflects the light down. So all that light that goes up from the top of the bulb hits that reflector and gets spread down onto our plants, down onto our canopy. We're paying for all that light. We want to move that light down where we want it, get those photons to the plants. So the light is the light bulb is inside of this, uh, basically an umbrella. Think of it as an umbrella that is directing the light back down onto your plants. Now think about, there's going to be a lot of heat uh, generated by that bulb and that heat is going to come down. Heat does rise, but that heat will come down into the plant area, into the canopy. It will also raise, rise up out of that 
uh, environment, that hood there, that duct, that uh, the shield, the reflector will rise up out of there and start heating up the grow room very rapidly. A thousand watt light puts off a lot of BTUs of heat. So one thing that I like to do is buy what is known as a ducted hood. It's got glass underneath there. So the light goes inside the hood or in the reflector and the glass goes underneath that. So now the heat cannot escape from that enclosure and it stays inside of there. But they've added six or eight inch flanges on either end of it to where you can run ducting in and ducting out and put a blower at one end and extract that heat from that light and get it away from the grow environment. I run a carbon filter, then ducting, then the light, then more ducting, and that goes right out of the enclosure. If it's a house, if it's a warehouse, if it's a, into another room, if it's a garage, I run that right out to another place just to exhaust that heat, get rid of it immediately, and never even makes it into the grow environment. In the winter, I'll actually dump that into either a veg room or a bed room just to use that heat, utilize the heat. I'm spending the money on the electricity. Let's utilize that heat that I heated up, get something out of it. So my favorite light setup in a thousand watt environment for a home grow or a personal project grow is um, a reflector with glass at the bottom and the flanges at the end that is ducted. We call that a vented hood so that I can just move that heat right away from that grow light and get it right out of the grow environment. That is kind of old school. That is kind of archaic. But honestly, um, when I'm trying something new in my grow space, if I'm trying a new nutrient, a new grow style, um, a new product or anything new, I run those HPS lights because I've had the best results with those. I've got the most experience with those. I know how to operate those very well. That's old school. It's kind of archaic, but it works really well for me. I have got a lot of LED lights. I've been gifted LED lights. People offer me LED lighting. And sometimes I just go right back to those HPS lights just because they're reliable and I love the way that they work. In a commercial grow, I always prefer double-ended Gavita HPS lighting for my flowering rooms. That's always what I prefer. Now, the next part of the question was um, distance from uh, the canopy to be optimal. I talked about a vented light, a vented hood. If your light is not vented, this answer is going to vary greatly. If the hood is vented and I'm moving a lot of air through there and getting that heat from that bulb away from that reflector, I can get those bulbs, that reflector down super close to the plants. Depending on the age and size of the plant, I can get somewhere between six and 24 inches from the canopy. That may sound crazy, but you've got a thousand watt light on a bunch of clones that are eight inches tall. Drop that bitch down to about 24, 18 inches above those. And then as they grow up, raise the light, raise the light. And when the light can't go anymore, I just let those plants grow right up to it. By the time they're done, they may be six or eight inches from that light, but it is ducted. It is vented. So they're not getting any heat stress. They're not getting any problems. They're not getting bleached from the light because they grew into it. I didn't just drop that light right on there. I let them grow up into it. They knew what they were getting into. They adjusted. They adapted slowly. So it all depends on the plant size and the plant health and how hot you are getting that environment. If you can keep it cool, if you can move that light, get it low, get it on there. If you drop that light right on there, you'll notice real stacked, tight, dense buds, real tight internodal spacing, that close to the light. Uh, learn about the law of the inverse square. The further we get that light away, we definitely start diminishing the value of that light. We get a bigger footprint, but we don't get the intense uh, it's the law of the inver law of inverse square. Read about that with lighting. You'll learn a lot there. I cannot even delve into that. Honestly, when it comes to lighting, 
Uh, lighting definitely is not my specialty. I know about it. I can talk about this really easily, but when it comes to spectrums and numbers and Kelvins, my brain does not absorb that info. And I don't, that's, I'm lighting ignorant to be mostly honest with you. But uh, for this thousand watt reflector, I would drop it real low. If you're not using a vented reflector, stay at least 18 inches above those plants or they're going to get roasted. Stay at least 18 inches above or they will get too hot. Have a fan going, move that heat around. Uh, but I get as close as I can and I start paying attention. Do I see the leaves curling up? Do they start giving me signs that they're pissed off? If so, then I just raise that light up just a little bit. I really like to push things. That comes with experience. Um, you've really got to just do it to learn it. I say get in there and experience some shit. If you cook some plants, you'll learn what the cook limit is. It's how you burn a pizza. If that pizza oven, the fucking box says leave it in for 12 minutes. You try it for nine, you check on it. It looks good. You check it at 10. It's cool. If you leave it in there for 13, that thing's fucking toast. You just got to learn it. You got to figure it out. Um, as long as uh, the thing is cooled, you can get it really, really low. Now, let me talk about uh, more of what you've got printed here. It says, my room is a four and a half by four and a half room, and my ceiling is six and a half feet high. Um, I would definitely get a ducted and vented hood if you could. That would definitely be ideal for that room. Then it goes on. It says, I have a 600 and a 400 watt HPS system I can use, but I'm thinking about buying a thousand watt HPS system to fix my stretching problem. Do you think the two lights are equal or lesser than a single 1000? That is a really good question. I want to touch on something before I go too far. Your stretch problem. Let's talk about other ways that could help with the stretch. Because uh, the light is a good idea. The light is one great step to mitigate the stretch. But is your temperature and humidity dialed in? If it's too hot, the plants are going to start stretching. If it's too dry or too wet, the plants are going to start stretching. Um, what is your nighttime temperature and humidity like? How drastic are your diurnal swings? Is your daytime and nighttime temperature and humidity within five or 10 degrees? If you can keep those super close within five degrees, that will drastically reduce the amount of stretch you get from those plants. Other things I've talked about is popping the knuckles on the plants, doing a little bit of LST, a little bit of super cropping where you grab the plant and just twist it and give it a little, little, my knuckle popped, it didn't do it too loud, but give it a little pop sound there that will slow down the stretch. So those are things that could help. If we're going to do it with lighting, one thing I would think about, you've got two fixtures here. I wonder if that 400 watt system will run a metal halide. Hear me out. This is what I would do. Tell me if you think I'm fucking crazy. Send me an email, growfromyourheart at hotmail.com. If you were going to do this, I would run the 600 watt high pressure sodium and the 400 watt metal halide together as close as you can, not as close as you get them, but fairly close together in the dead center of that room. You got a four by five room. Um, that's not very big, a four by five square. That's not very big. That 400 will get enough light down into there, especially with such a low ceiling. And the 600 will get enough light down in there. I'd put those right at the center of the room. Uh, and run both of them, the metal halide and the high-pressure sodium. You'll get a lot of great effects from that. The metal halide, the blue spectrum from the metal halide will help you keep that light or that plant short and squat. Here's a quick detail that I have forgot to talk about. Uh, this is something I used to say a long time ago. This detail just came to my mind as I was rambling. If you guys are experiencing too much stretch during the beginning of flower, another thing we can do to mitigate that stretch is don't change your bulb until 14 to 21 days into flower. After the stretch phase is over, then switch to that red bulb. If you're running metal halides and HPSs, the blue from the metal halide will keep those plants shorter and squattier and more stacked. Once you see that stretch stop, then switch over to your flower bulb. 
let me get back on track to what I was saying. I would use the 600 and 400. I would do the 600 watt high pressure sodium. I would do a 400 watt metal halide and I would run them together. I would do them on the 11, I was on a 12, 12 cycle. And that honestly, I have, I had run a crop in a five by five tent with, they used to make a reflector called the Grozilla and it would hold two bulbs. And I put just like this, I put a 600 and a 400 in there and I ran those just like a thousand watt light. And that was some of the uh, tastiest, most photogenic, densest, best, most dense. Anyway, some of the best weed I ever grew came from that five by five with those two bulbs running side by side. In your situation and in your environment, I do believe that the 400 and the 600 would be better because it's such a small environment that you don't need the super penetration from the thousand watt. You want the spread from the two bulbs. Imagine if you've got one light source you get more shadows. If you've got two bulbs, you have two light sources and less shadows and more light spread. Yeah, one section is getting a bunch of HPS, one section is getting a bunch of metal halide, but you'll get more light spread. We're not going super deep because your ceiling is only six and a half feet tall. You've only got, you got very little penetration to try to get there. I would do the 600 and the 400. Honestly, that is what I would do in that situation. If you can make the 400 a metal halide, that would be totally ideal for you. And that halide will definitely reduce the amount of stretch that may help you with your stretch situation. If you can switch both of those bulbs to metal halides until 21 days into flower, then switch the big one out to the red bulb, uh, the high pressure sodium that should make it bang for you, bro. That should definitely give you some progress. All right. It goes on. It says, I know you have an insane amount of inside information on this specific topic, but I do understand that you get thousands of questions per day and may not have time for this question. You guys, I do get a lot of emails and a lot of questions, and I really do try to get anything that I feel like is useful for the show that people could, a lot of people can gain knowledge from. I try to get those on the show as soon as possible. Don't ever feel discouraged if I don't answer your questions right away. Uh, this person said I get thousands of messages. I've got 4,000 unread emails. I'll try to read a lot of them over the next couple of days. And guess what? When I reply, I'll get 4,000 replies. So I'm trying, I'm doing my best. It's just me. Uh, I, the show is written, produced, hosted, edited, Oh, burped into the microphone all just by me. Excuse me for the kombucha burp there. I do apologize for that, but it's all just me. So I'm doing my best to get all the questions answered, all the material covered. Uh, don't feel discouraged. Don't get upset. If you've sent me a question and I have not answered it, maybe I'm compiling your question for the appropriate episode. Maybe two or three, two or three other people had a similar question. I'm going to knock them out all at once. Uh, maybe it's just not time for that question, or maybe it just didn't fit the format of the show. And I do apologize. I do my best, you guys. I'm going to quit rambling about that. That's enough excuse time with Rasta Jeff. Um, thank you for sending me the great question, my dude, JH. I had a good time rambling about this one. I hope people learned some stuff out there. I hope we help people uh, mitigate the stretch. Um, also, pay attention when you're buying seeds. That's a very important part. A lot of the breeders, at least myself, I try to warn you that you're going to get double or triple the stretch in a pack of seeds. Try to read that when you're shopping and buying stuff that may give you a big advantage. Um, then it says... Why not LED for me? Which is a great question. It says money and, and then it goes on to say, in my research, there aren't many options for LED that truly outperform HPS and anything larger than a four by four configuration. There are a couple, but they are super expensive and they run 650 to 800 watts anyway. Um, I kind of agree with you. It seems like uh, all the LEDs are designed for little tiny spaces. 
uh, and you got to buy a lot of them and they are super expensive to buy those lights at the beginning. The upfront cost is expensive. Of course, you save money on air conditioning, electricity bill, but that initial investment uh, does set you back a little bit. Uh, my opinion is that if HPS lights are working for you, metal halides are working for you and you're not, you don't find the LED that works for you, do your thing. The beauty of running your own grow, the beauty of growing cannabis in your own environment is that it is yours. You can do what makes you happy. As long as you are satisfied with the outcome of your product, nobody should tell you otherwise. As long as you're not hurting anybody, contaminating anything, poisoning anybody, or putting anybody in clear and present danger, uh, do your thing, bro. Grow the way that you want to. Grow from your heart, breed with love, and don't let the haters sway you. If somebody's telling you something that you're doing is wrong and you're happy with the way you're doing it, keep doing it. Let let yourself be open to suggestions and have room for improvement, but don't let the internet haters mess up your game, your strategy. Everybody on the internet wants to say, you're doing this wrong, you gotta do this, but they don't even know what you're doing. They don't know the rest of your project, so don't let them fuck you up. Do your thing, grow with the lights that work best for you. I found that in the winter, my LED lights do not keep my grow room warm. I found that in the summer, those LED lights are awesome because I can take down those HPS lights and not have to run half the amount of air conditioning. So it's all about the environment, the space, the time. Most importantly, what works for you? People always ask, what is the best? The best is what works the best for you. I think that uh, I don't even have the best because I have to change things. I think that LEDs are the best in the summer, and I think that HPSs are the best in the winter. You may think something totally different because your grow room is totally different. Do your thing. Find what works best for you. Adjust and adapt. And I like that my friend here said he's done a lot of research. Um why not? In my research, there aren't many options. I love it because not enough people do enough research out there. My friend JH, I want to thank you once again for a great question. If anybody else out there has any questions, corrections, comments, or concerns, once again, you know I would love to hear from you. My email address is hotmail.com. Send me a message. I love creating listener-generated content. That lets me know that I'm at least helping our friend JH, and I'm sure this topic will help a lot of other people out there. So once again, please send me your cannabis cultivation questions. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, pimps, hoes, friends, foes, smokers, growers, clone cutters, pollen chuckers, LED growers, high-pressure sodium growers, surfers, snowboarders, all you great cannabis smokers out there. Thank you once again for hanging out for episode 741 of the Grow From Your Heart podcast. If you feel like this episode was educational, informative, entertaining, maybe you'd just like to throw me a couple of bucks for spending time making a show, all you have to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash grow from your heart. All of the information that you need to support the show will be right there on the screen. Don't forget to check out that Patreon exclusive video featuring White Mike. Anything else you need will be on my website. There are a link. There is a link. There are links. Check out the website. Tune in. Tap in for a link to seed vendors, merchandise. Uh, there's all kinds of great stuff. A Discord link. If you're not on the Discord server, you are missing out. Check us out on Discord. That is all I've got for you for this episode. You know I'll be back in a couple of days with fresh new content. I want to give a big shout out to my buddy Billy Podunk. And until next time, take a fat dab and give your mom a hug for me.